Revelation 2, verses 18 through 29. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching and who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The fourth message to a specific church in Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, goes to the church in Thyatira. Thyatira may best be known to Bible students as the home of Lydia, an apparently independently wealthy businesswoman who became a convert after hearing the gospel from Paul and Silas in the city of Philippi. She was noted for trading in purple cloth, which is precisely what Thyatira was known for in the ancient world. The city was north from Pergamum and a little farther inland. The wool and purple cloth trades were important there, but it was generally known as a rich commercial hub with scores of trade guilds for its various industries. Jesus identifies himself to the church as the one who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. We might imagine that his eyes are penetrating, piercing, judging, and his feet are steadfast and immovable. What would Jesus say to them? He says he knows their works. But notice how the works are described. He doesn't say he knows their relief work or their charity. He doesn't mention their nursery rotation or their singing. He says their works are love, faith, service, and patient endurance. Greg Beale notes that in the book of Revelation, these words, quote, almost always refer to persevering witness. In a Christian context, love is typically a self-sacrificing commitment to another. In this case, it's the willingness to abandon one's own priorities, even one's own life, for the sake of making Jesus known. Faith, then, is the conviction that in Christ what lies ahead is so much greater than what we now see in the world. Service is that distinctly Christian service to Jesus, to his gospel, and patient endurance is staying steadfast under persecution, slander, and contempt. And Jesus says, unlike Ephesus, Thyatira has been growing in this rich gospel witness. However, these Thyatiran Christians tolerate that woman Jezebel. What does that mean? Jezebel was a queen of Israel, the wife of Ahab, the seventh king of Israel after the civil war that split the nation in two. 
She was the daughter of the king of Sidon, and Ahab's marriage to her led to him worshipping the Canaanite deity Baal and promoting the worship of Baal throughout Israel. Among other heinous deeds, Jezebel apparently promoted the worship of Baal by sponsoring a legion of prophets. She is one of the most prominent women in the whole of Scripture, but unfortunately, not for good. It's likely that Jesus and John are using the name Jezebel, not because that was the actual name of the false prophet in Thyatira, but because her teachings were effectively the same as the Old Testament Jezebel. Like the Jezebel of old, this was someone who lived in the midst of God's people, was being tolerated by God's people, and was leading God's people into pagan religion. In fact, the sexual immorality mentioned here is quite possibly of a religious nature, since the Greco-Roman paganism of the day often involved temple prostitutes. The need to be involved in the pagan religious life of Thyatira was probably enormous. We mentioned that this city was full of trade guilds for the various industries. These guilds were very much tied to the religious life, with each having its own patron god or goddess, and honoring that god was a part of being a guild member. Fail to show the proper respect to your god your guild's deity, and you might be out of the guild and out of business. So you can imagine there was a lot of pressure to fall in line. Apparently, the Thyatiran Christians were generally standing strong. But in the midst of them was this false prophet teaching that it was okay or good to engage in these pagan practices. How cruel! How awful to tempt someone's conscience with what they had already learned was evil. As the prophet Isaiah warned, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. But don't we have today such false prophets? They rise up within God's people in Christian circles and then try to tell us that what God has called wrong is okay, or even good. We have to also be on guard against Jezebel's. But God has a warning for that false prophet in Thyatira. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead. Just like the original Jezebel died for her wickedness, so would this new Jezebel. Those who commit adultery with her are those who committed spiritual adultery, those who worship the gods of the land instead of Jesus. Her children are not her biological children. Rather, the children who were destroyed with her are her spiritual children, her followers. Jesus says that by this he will be magnified, and they will know him all the more. Jesus concludes with a charge. For the faithful who didn't follow Jezebel, stay faithful, endure to the end, hold fast until I come, he says. A reminder that the judge who searches mind and heart is coming, and on that we can hope. But there's also an encouragement to persevere, borrowing the language from Psalm 2. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with an iron rod, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, 
even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. This is an amazing promise that we can barely scratch the surface of in our time here. Sometimes, maybe it's the old cartoons, we have this crazy idea that eternity is sitting in heaven playing music and singing to God. I think there's a great chance there will be some of that, but probably no wings or clouds, sorry. But there's a lot more to eternity than that, including the promise that Jesus will share his eternal rule with those who are his people. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy 2, If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. The world can cast us out, throw us in unmarked graves, ruin or erase our names from the records of this earth. But the followers of Christ have their names written in the book of life, will rise imperishable from the grave, and be ushered in to the banquet of the Lamb. And we will reign with our King forever. Until next time.